So we hear those words of Jesus, a description of life in his kingdom. We're trying to understand what that's about. So the context is Jesus has come and he's announcing the kingdom of God. And God's kingdom is God's rule, his reign, his will. It's God making things right. And so God's kingdom is wherever his will is being done. And so he's bringing this kingdom and he's bringing it in the person of Jesus. And the Sermon on the Mount, this passage, this sermon that Jesus gives is about what life in the kingdom looks like. What it looks like to participate in that. And it begins, Jesus begins with blessings. In other words, it begins with the actions of God on our behalf. And what I've talked about the last couple weeks is these blessings aren't something we initiate, but it's God's deliverance. It's God's salvation that comes to us. And it comes to the unlikely. It comes to the poor in spirit, the meek, those who mourn. And so God is bringing this unexpected things to the people who are on the outside, who often don't, people wouldn't look at and say, oh, they're blessed by God. But God is bringing blessings. And the blessing is God's action to deliver. It's God's grace and action to them. And the blessings are a sign of God's grace, but they're also an invitation to participate. And so as we finish up the Beatitudes today, that's what I want you to, maybe that word, if you remember one word today, is maybe invitation. To think about how these words of Jesus are an invitation from him. And as we read these together, the poor in spirit, the mourning, the meek, those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness, maybe you began to see that one of the things that Jesus is describing when he talks about what the kingdom looks like is himself. Because as we look at the life of Jesus, we see these very same things in the life of Jesus. We see him mourning over loss, over sin. We see him meek, which doesn't mean he's a doormat, but instead he doesn't retaliate with violence. He hungers and thirsts for righteousness. He's merciful. He's pure in heart. He's a peacemaker. All these things are pictures of what Jesus is like. And he's inviting us to be a part of the kingdom, to also to look like that. Scott McKnight describes the kingdom of God as a society for anyone who will join up with Jesus and live as he teaches. A society for anyone who will join with Jesus and live as he teaches. And another way to think about it, Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about it this way. He says, they're not demands, but these are what we look like when we follow Jesus. And we have to see them in that wider story and not read them alone. And sometimes we're tempted. We want to take out the words of Jesus. We want to take out many passages in the Bible and we look at one little passage and we say, well, this is everything Jesus had to say. And Jesus is saying, we need to be more mean, mourning. We need to be meek. We need to be poor in spirit in order to be blessed. But if we read the wider picture of the Bible, we see that's not what it is, but it said it's God's invitation to us. And I like the way Rebecca Eklund, a scholar who's written a book on the Beatitudes, says it this way. Like what she said, she says, perhaps one of the main functions of the Beatitudes is to make us wonder about them. The more you wrestle with the Beatitudes, the more they pull you into their depths. The deeper you dig, the more they yield. Read that again. He says, she says, the more you wrestle with the Beatitudes, the more they pull you into their depths. The deeper you dig, the more they yield. And I know for me, sometimes I'm tempted. I want to read a verse and get something out of it. It's like, oh, I got it. But what we realize is 
all of Scripture, but particularly some passages, some texts like the Beatitudes, we can read them 10 times, 50 times, and each time we come back, we sometimes have to wrestle with them a little bit. We have to struggle to see what they're meaning, but the more we wrestle, the deeper they pull us in. And we also see that they continue to give us, that God's Word continues to give us images and pictures. And again, I want to, as we, we're going to look at the last four of them, but I want to again want to want you to remember that word invitation. And notice, as we read them together, if you remember your grammar, does anybody remember what an imperative is? An imperative is what? A command to do something. How many commands were there in the passage that we read? There was one. Rejoice and be glad, right? That was the only, that was the only command given here. The rest we're talking about the transformative work that God does in our lives. And that's a lot of what the Bible, especially as we move into the New Testament and see what God is doing. God's inviting us to live a new way, but he's doing it as we're doing it, as he transforms and changes us. And so as we submit ourselves to Jesus, as we begin to follow him, the Holy Spirit begins to work inside of us and bring about these things. It begins to change us. So let's, we're going to look at the last four, beginning with blessed are the merciful. So Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. As, as I was reading this passage, I was thinking back to junior high. And in junior high, one of the popular games that kids would play with each other, I don't know if you can even call it a game, was a game called Mercy. Uh, maybe they said, probably still do it, but the, Mercy, if you're not familiar with it, you would take Anybody want to come do it? No. You come, you take your hands like this and you clasp hands with the other person. And the idea was to see who could bend the other person's hand back far enough to cause pain and they'd finally say mercy. <laughs> These are the fun games we play, right? <laughs> who thought that game? But when we think of mercy, and the reason I thought of that game was mercy, that's often what we think of mercy is stop hurting me. So, when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, is he simply talking about those who stop hurting others, who are inflicting pain on others and simply stop? I don't think that's what he means by it. Mercy is more than even just a feeling. And Jesus even talks about this in some of his stories. There's one time a teacher asks Jesus about what it looks like to love neighbor. And Jesus tells a story. And he tells a story of a man who's traveling down a road. And the man's traveling down a road and robbers come and they beat him and they take his clothes and they leave him lying on the road half dead. And a religious leader comes and passes by on the other side. And then another religious leader comes and passes by on the other side. And finally, a stranger, an outcast, an enemy comes by and he sees the man and he has compassion on him and he takes him and he puts him on his own animal and he cares for him. He bandages him. He dresses him. He spends his own money and takes him to an inn and cares for him. And is willing to put out even more money for whatever care. And Jesus tells this story to the teacher. And at the end, he says, which one was the neighbor? And the teacher responds, I suppose the one who had mercy on him. You see, mercy wasn't just the stopping inflicting pain. What did mercy look like in the story? It was a man who went over and above. He reached out to the enemy. He bandaged him. He cared him. He wounded him. Mercy involves action to change someone's life. Jesus, several times in the Gospel of Matthew, we're told he's walking along and there are people crying out. There are lepers, there are blind men. And people cry out to them and they say, Jesus, son of David, Jesus, rabbi, teacher, have mercy on me. 
They're not simply asking for Jesus to feel sorry for them. They're not simply asking for Jesus to stop hurting them. When they cry out for mercy, what are they looking for? They're looking for Jesus to act on, his, on their behalf. And so this is what Jesus is saying here as he's talking about blessed are the merciful. He's describing those who are reaching out and caring for others. And so the invitation for us is to hear those words and to ask ourselves this. If Jesus declares the merciful blessed, what does that say to me? Am I invited into a different way of living? If I'm not described, am I invited or called to be in solidarity with those who are? If I'm not merciful, I may hear this differently than one who is. And I think that Rebecca Eklund talks some about that is that we all hear these commands differently. And sometimes there's a desire for people to hear a pastor or a teacher or me reading a book to say, well, just give me the, what do I need to do with this passage? And I think sometimes we simplify it a little too much. Because if we hear these words of an invitation, we recognize and we talk about here at Fruitland Covenant Church that all of us are at a different place in our walk with Jesus. We're all at a different place. So the invitation to each of us may be different. The invitation maybe to someone who is merciful, who shows mercy to people and maybe is expending their resources is a reminder, the invitation is just to hear this reminder from God that you are blessed because of that. And that God will show you mercy in the same way. But perhaps if we're not merciful, if we struggle when we see someone suffering and hurting and, and we don't have that tendency to reach out, maybe the invitation is to become merciful and to allow God to work inside of us and change and to transform us, to be the kind of person who looks and sees someone and responds out of mercy. Maybe the invitation is just to be the kind of person who, who recognizes the other, kind, the other people who are merciful and to be in solidarity with them and see how they do that. Continue on, he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And so when we think of pure in, God, pure in heart, what do we think of? It's not simply like, well, I have really clean thoughts. Pure in heart I think one best way to describe there is an integrity between what's going on inside and what's going on outside. Because there's the possibility where we can display, we can put on, we can act in all sorts of external ways. But as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, and as we go through all of Jesus' teaching, and even later teachings, and all throughout the Bible, it's not simply what we're doing on the outside, but what's going on on the inside. And so Jesus is talking about someone whose interior and their exterior match. That there's this integrity, that there's a synchronicity between those two things. And so they're acting not simply with the external actions that everyone can see, but what's going on in their heart is too. And he's saying, blessed are those who are pure in heart. And he says, the result is they will see God. We kind of tempted, we read up, oh, they're going to see God. That's an amazing thing. This isn't a simple thing, but to see God, the, the ancient writers talk about this as the beatific vision, this vision of who God is, to be able to look God in the face, to see him as he is, 
And it's this quest, this desire that should be deep inside of all of us to, to truly see God. And so here's this invitation. He says, who sees God? The people who are pure in heart. And so again, invitation. If Jesus declares the pure in heart to be blessed, what does that say to me? Am I invited into a different way of living? Is there something that needs to change in my life? Is there some way that God needs to work inside of me to begin to change and make me somehow different? To recognize that all of us hear that differently. Some may be sitting here and we're farther along that path and we're more pure in heart. We'll hear that differently than someone who isn't. But Jesus invites us into this kingdom in which the pure in heart see God. Jesus invites us into a kingdom in which he's working to transform and to change us to be pure in heart. And so he invites us in. And he continues on, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And he's talking about a kingdom that's peaceful. And we often think of peaceful as just an absence of conflict, but peaceful is even so much more than that. And this idea that Jesus gives here is not something new. The prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before, talked about God sending a Messiah. And he said, talked about him being the prince of peace. The prophet Micah, the prophet Isaiah, talks about a time when swords will be beat into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. This change and this transformation where peace is a way of living. This is the kingdom expectation. And what he's saying is the reality of the kingdom happens through people who are peacemakers. Now, peacemaking isn't just being nice or being tolerant. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot in today's world of being tolerant. But peacemaking... Have any of you ever had to break up a fight? What is it like to step between two people or maybe either verbally fighting or physically fighting? Is it fun to be in the middle of that? It's scary, isn't it? It's scary. It's terrifying because you could potentially be wounded. But that's exactly Jesus invites us, what, to be peacemakers. Not just peacekeepers where we're like, oh, it's peaceful. I'm not going to fight anymore. But to actually enter into situations where two parties are at conflict and we're entering, we're going to find a way to resolve the difficulties and the challenges. And he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. In other words, children of God is a way of saying someone who's on God's side. Someone who's like him, someone who's part of his family. Because that's what God does. God comes in and he makes peace. Jesus, in his ultimate act, makes peace by giving his life on a cross. And he makes peace between God and between people. And he also brings peace in that death between different groups of people. And so Jesus demonstrates what it looks like to be a peacemaker. And he did that how? By dying on a cross. By giving up his life, by giving up his rights, by giving up all that he had. And so when Jesus invites us into this and says, blessed are the peacemakers... He's not simply inviting us into an act where we sit in a distant office and declare peace somewhere. 
but he's saying blessed are the peacemakers, the one who enter into conflicts, the one who step between two parties who are at war, whether it's two nations, two tribes, or two individuals, and finds a way to make peace, finds a way to work out the differences and not necessarily playing down the differences or it's not even always saying that both sides have equal rights to the differences, but that there are simply differences between them and you're finding the way. Now, the way to get there isn't always clear. But in some sense, this is key to the message of Jesus is this. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about it this way. He says, but their peace, in other words, the followers of Jesus, but their peace will never be greater than when they encounter evil people in peace and are willing to suffer for them. Peacemakers bear the cross with their Lord for peace was made at the cross. You read that first part of the quote again. But their peace, in other words, the peace of peacemakers will never be greater than when they encounter evil people in peace and are willing to suffer for them. I mean, it's one thing to come and to find, make peace between people who are generally good people. But Bonhoeffer's talking about this, that when Jesus is talking about being a peacemaker, is sometimes it, it involves encountering people who are seeking evil and stepping in and realizing that sometimes when we step in, we get hurt, and that's why it's scary. We might be physically hurt, or we might be emotionally hurt, we might be psychologically hurt, but there's harm that can be done to us. So the invitation is to say, if Jesus declares peacemakers are blessed, what does that say to me? Am I invited into a different way of living? If I'm not described as a peacemaker, if I'm not a peacemaker, am I invited in or called to be in solidarity with those who are? Because there are some people who are gifted that God enables to be peacemakers and bring. So how do we act in solidarity with them? Or if I'm not a peacemaker, if I'm the one who kind of, when I see people fighting, I add to the fight. How is God calling me to live differently? And how do I then Invite God's spirit to work inside of me, to change me, to become a peacemaker. And then Jesus, you feel like, okay, just when he's maybe like letting off the gas a little bit, he hits with the last one. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And here at this point, Jesus has been kind of talking and you feel like, oh, he's talking about groups of people. He's like, oh, the peacemakers, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But then you get the sense that he turns and he looks at the people, really looks at them and kind of looks them in the eye and says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and speak all kinds of evil against you because of me. And right, now I want you to put yourself in that place where people are insulting you, people are persecuting you, and people are saying all kinds of false things against you. And then you hear these words from Jesus, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's the command. When we're persecuted, we're supposed to rejoice and be glad. That's not my first response. Not sure if it makes 
five or six on the list of responses. But that's what Jesus invites us to do. He invites us to respond. But one of the things we first have to notice, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. I think I've said this before. This isn't being persecuted because you're a jerk or because you're unkind. And sometimes we confuse those things. We say, oh, people are picking on me. So, well, it's because you're not a nice person. But you're persecuted because of righteousness, because you're lining up with the way of Jesus. You're seeking God's will in spite of what others think. And for us as Americans, sometimes we, we view this idea, oh, we're being persecuted and, and all kinds of things are going bad. And I would invite us to, one, do a couple things. One is to expand our vision of what persecution looks like. We're sitting here freely in a chapel, singing songs, reading our Bible. We can wear a sweatshirt that talks about God into the store and no one's going to arrest us, no one's going to beat us, no one's going to do anything about it. That's not true in parts of the country. Parts of the world, sorry. More than that, sometimes we respond like, oh, we're being persecuted. We need to get the right people in office. We need to change the laws. I would invite you again to read and hear, listen to the invitation of what are we to do when we are persecuted because we're following Jesus? Rejoice and be glad. Does Jesus say, when you are persecuted, call your congressman? When you're persecuted, punch back. When you're persecuted, post about it on Facebook. <laughs> Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of things. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. He's reminding people that when we're persecuted because of righteousness, when we're doing the kinds of thing that God calls us to do and we suffer, that's the, what has happened to God's people throughout history. And God has consistently rewarded people for that and will continue to reward people for that. So we should be glad because we know we're doing the right thing. So the invitation is to ask, if Jesus is declaring the persecuted blessed, what does that say to me? What do I think about when I think about persecution? Am I invited into a different way of living? Is what I call persecution actually persecution? If I'm being persecuted, is it because of righteousness? And if I am, what's my response? Am I responding with rejoicing and gladness? I'm not yet. But we're on a journey. And God is working in us, and some people do. I am amazed when I read stories of people in the persecuted church around the world pastors jailed for 5, 10, 15 years for sometimes sentenced to death. And they embrace it. They consider it an honor because they've heard the invitation of Jesus. And it's sunk deep and God's spirit has worked in them so they can recognize that they are participating in the kingdom of God. They're participating in this good news and that what they are suffering is only a temporary thing. And so they are able to rejoice and to be glad. The Bible tells the story of Paul and Silas, the early followers of Jesus. And they're, throwing, they're preaching about Jesus and they get 
put in chains and thrown in jail. And you know what they do when they're sitting in their jail cell? They sing. They sing songs to Jesus. They sing songs to God, songs of praise. Because I think this message, this invitation of Jesus had sunk deep in their hearts. And they recognized that what they were doing, they were just following Jesus. Jesus wasn't persecuted. He wasn't arrested. He wasn't crucified because he was a horrible person. He wasn't arrested and crucified because he was a criminal. He was arrested and crucified because of his righteousness, because of his goodness. And so we're invited to follow in his steps and to walk in those ways. And so I would invite you maybe this week to reread these Beatitudes. To reread and hear, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are persecuted. To hear those, to read those and say, what is God inviting me into? What's the invitation from Jesus in this? How am I seeing myself in it? What is he calling me to? How is he inviting me to change? And not just me change on my own, but how is he inviting me to be changed by the power of the Spirit? Which is how we change. The King, King Jesus comes and he extends an invitation to the kingdom of God. And he invites all of us. And so today, may we hear that invitation. The invitation of blessing. The invitation of the kingdom. The invitation of good news. Amen.